Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts, an evergreen podcast network. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Hello, Caroline. Hi. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> the way you say, Caroline. Hello, Caroline. Welcome to mm. my tomb of horrors. Well, we're definitely talking about some tombs. Kind of a sexy crypt keeper is what I'm, that's what I'm serving today. Mm-hmm. Um, Carrie, what are we talking about? <laughs> well, first, before we get deep into the episode, we just want to remind everyone that we'll be appearing at our second Paracon of the year, this time in Salem, Massachusetts. Woo! That's right. We'll be there this upcoming weekend, November 12th and 13th. It'll be at Salem State University on the South Campus in the gym. And there will be ample free parking along with plenty of special guests, paranormal enthusiasts, cool vendors, speakers, and so much more. Ample parking in Salem. That is paranormal. I know. I, they, they say it on the site like, one of the few places you can park in Salem. <laughs> Um, and advanced tickets are only fourteen ninety nine a pop. So head on over to Salem Paracon. That's S A L E M P A R A C O N dot org for more details. Very exciting! It's going to be a good time if you're in the area. If you happen to be passing through, <laughs> um, and it's a great time to go to Salem now. The crowds have died down a little. Oh yeah, I mean it's night and day, so you can actually get into some museums and make a day trip of it. Caroline can give you directions right from the con to her favorite cemetery in the world. Listen, if you buy enough stickers from us, I'll give you a private ghost tour. Okay? She would love to do it. She's not getting. And visiting patrons from our Patreon will get some free swag. And who knows if you come up to us during the con and let us know your favorite episode. Even if you're not a patron, maybe we'll slip you a sticker on the house. Oh, naughty girl. <laughs> yep. But for this week, uh, for the episode, I was inspired by the heady atmosphere of our midterm elections. Now, for those who aren't familiar with the American political system, and I truly envy you at this point if you aren't, <laughs> the midterm elections are for many major political positions other than our president. So, for example, here in Connecticut, in our state, our current governor, Ned Lamont, was reelected to another term, which is four years in length, much like the presidency. Mm -hmm. The House of Representatives and Senate also had some elections. The House has elections every two years, while the Senate has elections every six years. No, it doesn't make much sense to me why the terms are all so different. Uh, we can kind of blame James Madison for the Senate, since he defended the six-year term in one of his Federalist papers, and it hasn't been changed since, which bodes so well for how our government works. Well, the, I think the idea is they shouldn't be like just constantly thinking about the next election. There should be people who are, who are just well, thinking there should, about government. The problem is there should be term limits I mean, for senators and congressmen. In theory, they're thinking about government. You get some old fucks in there for like 50 years, you know. That's all they care about. They just care about that's their job. The views of Caroline McCabe do not represent the views of ancient Term scary limits on LLC everyone. Or Sean McCabe. If the president has term limits, everyone else should. No, that's I all agree. I'm saying. I, I agree with you, Carrie. Um, but anyway, my aim with this episode was not to take uh, a political stance necessarily, but just take pol pol politics and make it spooky. Mm -hmm. Because dry politics are only not fun, but also pretty depressing at the moment. But ghosts, to me, ghosts are always fun. Not at all depressing. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, we all love uh, the specter of oncoming death. Absolutely. Well, not just counting ghosts here, but also premonitions, curses, psychic phenomena, and more. My main source for this episode is the book The Haunting of the Presidents, A Paranormal History of the U.S. Presidency by Joel Martin and William J. Burns. Uh, Martin, incidentally, Sean, credits himself as uh, revealing the Amityville horror hoax to the world at large. So someone I'm sure you're a fan of. Uh, so is he, does he take a skeptical eye toward the ghost stories in, no. in this book? <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> He's like, but these are real. <laughs> Maybe, I guess. Uh, this book covers paranormal events relating to the White House between the Washington and Clinton administrations. And I'll also be referring 
to the documentary Demon in the White House, available on Discovery+. Plus. Now that does sound, that's a pretty intriguing <laughs> sequel to uh, uh, White House Down or whatever the movie so. <laughs> Yeah. So let's get into it. We'll begin with a little history of the White House itself, as it's the site of, I think, all of the hauntings we'll be talking about today. The White House is the name for the official residence and workplace of the American president and is located at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Now, this is... I think most, even outside of the the U.S., most of our listeners know most of the relevant details. We just charted in Croatia, I think, so I'm just trying to be... Which is baffling to me. Thank you, Croatian listener. Um, but I'm trying to be as as open and and helpful as possible. Uh, you're you're a shepherd to the world, my, my dear. <laughs> uh, yes, the president lives in the White House. Yes, and it's been the residence of every president since John Adams, our boy, in 1800. Our boy, Paul Giamatti. <laughs> Giamatti himself. Uh, the name White House is often used as a metonym, which I didn't know what that meant before now, but that's a figure of speech in which a concept is referred to by the name of something closely associated with that thing or concept. So when you talk about the White House in America, oftentimes you can be referring to not just the residents, but just oh, the president, the president's, uh, the presidency and the government at large. The executive branch. Yeah. Yeah. It's a symbolic place. And I think anyone who studies the occult will tell you that when there's a lot of symbolism and energy directed at a location or or anything else, a person, an object, it becomes very charged with whatever's coming at it. That's that sort of left-hand magic thing. Yes. (laughs) The white... Or the secret. Yes, yes. The White House was constructed between 1792 and 1800, and despite being set on fire by the British during the War of 1812, it still stands today. It's a... 132-room mansion, which kind of boggled my mind. I mean, it doesn't seem that big. It's Have, have you been? Out, like, I've been outside it. I've, never I've been, been outside. outside. I've, I don't think I've ever been inside it. It's a, it's, a, it's a sizable residence. But I've seen clips of, like, tours and stuff, and you realize they only show eight rooms on tours. Mm-hmm. So that's a humongous house that you're not seeing, kind of like Buckingham Palace if you take a tour there. But that's a lot of history as well in every single one of those 132 rooms. You have world-changing decisions being made, terrible tragedies, magnificent triumphs, secrets and scandals, Marilyn Monroe being snuck in the back door, so many things happening. Uh, Allegedly? Allegedly. Allegedly. And all of that intense energy is bound to create some hauntings, and the White House may be one of the most haunted homes in America, thanks to that fact. There's also the fact that several presidents or presidential family members have employed psychics, mediums, and other occult people on the site. Was this in the 20s? All throughout time to be honest. More than you'd think, too. Um, Not just old-timey folks back to, like, the Washingtons, you know, where you can be like, oh, well, they didn't know any better. Um, But you have the wives... It it would be weird if Washington had had a (laughs) spiritualist seance. No, no. But you know what I mean. Like, oh, they they believe all sorts of things back then. But you have the wives of Calvin Coolidge and Warren Harding. Um, You have President... Woodrow Wilson, who is said to have had secret consultations with psychic and healer Edgar Case or Casey, and you have both FDR and JFK meeting with uh, psychic and astrologer Jean Dixon. First Lady Nancy Reagan famously relied on the Council of Astrologer Joan Quigley, which many proponents of Reagan fandom would probably find hard to believe, even though it was kind of like a media sensation at the time when that news came out. Um, I hadn't heard that. <clears throat> yeah. And some people even think that Hillary Clinton's reported conversations with First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt were perhaps a form of channeling, though it seems she was talking about really just having hypothetical chats with a woman she admired. <laughs> Uh, I think that seems much more likely and much more in in keeping with the uh, 
But I, with the Hillary Clinton, we know. Right. But, you know, typical of the media when she said this, and this was when she was first lady, she was like, you know, sometimes I talk to Eleanor Roosevelt and I think about what she would have to say about things. You know, they were like, Hillary Clinton talks to ghost of dead Roosevelt wife. You know, it's like, relax. Um, but as with royalty, people in political power, even the United States, are uh, more heavily into spiritualism and the occult than many of us are even aware. And that goes to today. Now, this is not to say that there's some sort of satanic baby-eating cabal. Let me be very clear. Well, I have heard some things on the internet that (laughs) would lead me to believe. Right. But, you know, aren't you a little surprised to see just how many presidents have employed psychics in some sort of capacity? I guess, yeah. We've had a lot of presidents, though. There, there, there have got to be a few first ladies. I mean, astrology was... Uh, Don't just bl- blame the first ladies. Astrology... The guys believe in it, too, sometimes. Astrology is a trendy uh, thing, you know, now again. Well... So if you tell me Joe Biden, probably not Joe Biden. No. I actually can't see Dr. that. Dr. Biden, no. If you told me Melania Trump was into astrology, I'd be like, yeah, probably. Hmm. Maybe. Well, many think the hauntings really began around 1853 during Franklin Pierce's presidency. Pierce and his wife Jane had some difficulties during their marriage, including the deaths of all three of their children, with one, Benny, most recently having died in a train accident right before Pierce's inauguration. And both Pierce and his wife were present for it, and it was... The way it was described, it was really horrifying how this this kid died. And it's like a month or two before he was inaugurated. So Jane was known for her melancholia and was often sick and sort of hidden away from the world. Um, This is fertile ground for a haunting. It's like that episode of the Guillermo del Toro cabinet. God, yeah. But you're right. Um, Because of this, the press began to call her the Phantom of the White House. But of course, she was not literally a phantom. No, but she did wear a little half mask, right? Isn't that true? (laughs) Well, no, but she did try to contact some phantoms. Now, you mentioned spiritualism before, Sean. Um, We've definitely talked about it a bit before, but it was a spiritual school of thought and kind of a craze with peak interest between the 1840s to 1920s. And we're going to absolutely have a, like its own designated episode in the future. But pretty much many people became interested in the afterlife and began to believe that the dead could be contacted. And it became trendy uh, in a way. Yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle got really into it. Mm-hmm. A lot of famous people did. Jane Pierce began to buy heavily into these beliefs after Benny's death. Three major figures in the spiritualism movement were the Fox sisters, Margareta, Kate, and Lee, who were successful mediums for many years until possibly being revealed as hoaxes in the 1880s. Again, there's definitely more to the story, and it's a fun one, so we'll definitely cover it for a spiritualism episode. Yeah, I think so, absolutely. Have we not covered... uh... No. We've covered, like, Harry Houdini's beliefs and and stuff. Right. But I I did, I've read a bunch about the Fox sisters. Why did I do that? I don't know. You should have written an episode about it. (laughs) Wait, and you're telling me they they weren't real psychics even? Why did I do all that reading? It's it's complicated. No, I know. And I don't think it's that complicated. We'll (laughs) we'll get to it. In 1853, they were worldwide sensations. And so First Lady Jane Pierce asked them to come to the White House to perform a seance in hopes of contacting Benny. Some think that this first dip into the occult within the walls of 1600 Pennsylvania is what opened the doors to the spirit world and allowed all manner of things to cross through from the other side. Now, this isn't so crazy a notion. Um, I mean, how many horror movies start with some kid fucking around with a Ouija board and becoming possessed or possessing the home? Most of the kid-possessed ones kind of do start that way. Exactly. Uh, It's kind of like leaving the front door unlocked. It's your choice to do it, but you also have no control over who comes in. Supposedly, the seance or even seances granted Jane some relief, though we don't know exactly what transpired during them. She would eventually tell her sister that Benny had come to her in two successive nights of dreams, which she seemed to think was a successful result of her reaching out to his spirit. 
Jane seeing Benny in whatever form she did was the first recorded paranormal experience in the White House, but after that, nearly every every administration reported some kind of strange phenomena right through to present day, which we'll discuss later. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that is fascinating. <laughs> now, the documentary Demon in the White House posits that, because of these occult ties, there might be other beings accessing those in, high, in the highest positions of power in the country. Was you, it... You know, like a demon. Was it built on an old burial ground of some kind? (laughs) This whole country was, Sean. Well, yeah. Yeah. But uh, paranormal investigator Joshua P. Warren, whom uh, we joined the Unbelievable podcast in disliking. Uh, Yes, in heaping scorn upon. Yes. Uh, He states in the special that, quote, the demon is basically a spiritual parasite. They will start working on a person's psyche. If we have the president of the United States, then the idea that something could be coming in there and making them behave erratically or irrationally is a big, big problem for all of us. First of all, I've never seen a president (laughs) in my lifetime act erratically or Mm -hmm. irrationally. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, second, wouldn't it be nice to be uh, Joshua P. Warren and just have a, a career of, of exclusively talking out of your ass. It, I guess that's sort of what we're trying to get yes, going here. Yes, yes. Hire us to talk out of our asses, people, please. I mean, we're not even lying. <laughs> He's lying. <laughs> well, Warren seems to feel that Pierce, uh, Franklin Pierce, may have been demonically influenced to sign the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which expanded the nation's territories, but also the reach of slavery, pushing us closer to the edge of civil war. Apparently, this was something that Pierce had been against before, had promised that he wouldn't do, and then he had this kind of flip-flop while he was in office. And Warren seems to think that it was because of a demon. And that demon wanted to cause the civil war, which would happen 10 years later. So... So it wasn't like divides and contradictions that were built into the very fabric of our nation or anything like that? Um, You could say that was a demon, too. We could say everything's a demon. (laughs) I guess I I have no argument against that, so I guess we have to move on. Well, on the note of the Civil War, we'll go a few years ahead from the Pierces to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln... Many people know he was the 16th president of the. No, he was the 16th president of the United States, and his memory obviously survives today as an, of course, honest um, and also decent and hardworking man who managed to eventually keep the country together during one of the darkest periods in American history. Certainly, a thankless job um, that ran him ragged. Obviously, he's a figure still eminently respected by politicians on both sides of the aisle, which is not an easy task, and one routinely added to dream dinner party lists and roundups of the best presidents the country has ever had. Well, it's it's easier to stay in people's good graces the further back you are, because like the bad things you did don't affect them anymore. Right. And the sadder your death is, to be honest. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that sort of feeling of lost potential. Exactly. Uh, yeah, because you wonder if... Uh, ah, never mind, we could get into a, a well, whole thing. we'll talk about this eventually. But um, Lincoln, as I'm sure you know, was assassinated in April 1865, just days after the North won the Civil War. We just talked about this last week. Yeah, and we're going to have designated assassin assassination episodes so well certainly we're going to talk about that the lincoln assassination is is a whole episode of its own and we also like we said last week we have to do garfield at some point because Guiteau is such a uh, a loon yeah and he hates mondays garfield does yeah i see what you did there <laughs> well now i want lasagna the tragedy sean of the lincoln assassination um perhaps elevates him from just president to an icon, much as untimely deaths are wont to do. And this tragedy was both possibly preordained and has had rippling consequences into the supernatural to this day. Now, during his lifetime, Lincoln always had a fraught relationship with uh, death. He, He was a gloomy little boy. And his mother... He wasn't little. He was very tall. <laughs> well, even as a, even as a young man. Little tall boy. His mother, Nancy, died when he was only nine. 
helping kick off uh, melancholia that descended over him for the rest of his life. And it's clear now to us with psychological knowledge um, that Lincoln certainly had some form of depression, along with some other mental and emotional issues, but it didn't stop him from being a great president. Arguably the best. Arguably the best. But it did, however, give him a gloomy perspective on the events in his life. Um, Perhaps this gloominess is what attracted him to his eventual wife, Mary Todd, who shared the same tendency towards his dark moods. Now, Lincoln had previously had another love, um, Anne Rutledge, who died tragically young of typhoid. His law partner, William Herndon, would later say, quote, Anne was the only woman he truly loved. Her memory exerted a mystic guiding influence throughout his life. Now, perhaps if she had survived, he would have had more balance to his depression, but Mary Todd kind of would just dive in with him. And when they were both in their depressive episodes, said that it was kind of really intense being around them. It was, uh, yeah, the, the sources, I believe, the primary sources say the White House was, quote, a big fucking bummer. <laughs> yeah. Some think Mary suffered from bipolar disorder, but nevertheless, their moods were tumultuous in combination with each other. And this was only made more severe in 1850 when their son, Eddie, died, likely of tuberculosis. And then in 1862, soon after Lincoln assumed office and responsibility for the Civil War, their young son, Willie, died during a terrible fever. The impact on both Lincolns of these deaths was similar to the grief that the Pierces sustained when losing their children just a decade before. And similar to the Pierces, this tragedy prompted Mary to begin holding seances at the White House, desperate for any contact or consolation regarding her two lost children. Okay, so is this is kind of before before spiritualism or spiritualism it's kind the of beginning its... of spiritualism so if spiritualism is from like the 1840s to 1920s we're kind of 20 years in but not at like the the heady victorian heyday of like jack the ripper times to be honest like the 1880s and 90s now you just wonder how met how much of the like 1920s seances in place. You know what I mean? Are they sitting around a table and holding hands? Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's uncertain, but you can read somewhat about it at whitehousehistory.org, which I find fascinating because it's an actual public historic account of occultism at the White House. Um, After the death of Willie Lincoln, Mary met the Lorries, a group of mediums located in nearby Georgetown. And first she attended their seances and then began to host her own in the Red Room of the White House, which is, of course, the spookiest name for a room, as we know from The Haunting of Hill House. Um, And what else did I, what did I see recently with a Red Room? A Red Room is always like a thing. We saw Green Room. Yes, and that was very (laughs) scary, but in a a different way. (laughs) Yes. Mary believed that um, she really experienced things at these seances and once told her half-sister that, quote, Willie lives. He comes to me every night and stands at the foot of the bed with the same sweet, adorable smile that he always has had. He does not always come alone. Little Eddie is sometimes with him. And Eddie was his predeceased brother. Ruh-roh. Yeah. So after several months, Mary was forced to to halt the seances due to societal pressure once people started finding out that she was having seances in the White House. Well, people, give her a break. Uh, But not before the president himself attended one or two. And in fact, it may have influenced his emancipation proclamation. So during a meeting at the White House, Lincoln and a young medium named Nettie Colburn discussed what the spirit world had to say about his intentions regarding emancipation, which he was, you know, wrestling with because this was something where he was kind of going against what he thought was in the Constitution, which is the idea that slaves were three-fifths of people, which obviously is wrong and terrible, but it was in the constitution so it was hard for him to go against it he and the wars are already happening it's just going to make things worse in terms of 
pissing people off. Um, So he's wrestling with it. And we see that in the movie Lincoln. Now, Nettie, in a trance, gave Lincoln spirit messages that he seemed to understand, including, quote, not to delay the proclamation's enforcement beyond the opening of the year 1863. I mean, the const- it didn't really say that black people were three-fifths of a person. It just said that they counted for three-fifths of the... No, I, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just summing it up. Right, but what, but what he was doing was definitely a, like a big, you know, federal presidential yes. overreach. yes. For a good reason, for the best reason, but, you know, still. She also said that the spirits assured that it would be the crowning event of his administration and his life, and that while he was being counseled by strong parties to defer or delay action, he must in no way heed such counsel, but stand firm to his convictions and fearlessly perform the work and fulfill the mission for which he had been raised up by an overruling providence. Those in attendance at this meeting, because there were other people there, stated that during this trance, some strong masculine spirit force was giving speech to almost divine commands. One guest asked Lincoln, Mr. President, did you notice anything peculiar about the method of address? To which Lincoln pointedly looked at the portrait of Daniel Webster hanging above the piano and responded, yes, it is singular, very. And it seems that both Abraham Lincoln and Nettie herself believed that the spirit speaking through her that night was the famous lawyer and statesman Daniel Webster, whom Lincoln had known and admired very much. And as we all know, Lincoln did end up signing the Emancipation Proclamation, changing the legal status of more than 3.5 million African Americans from enslaved to free. So so you're saying... I, I'm saying some people think... So you're saying that the Emancipation Proclamation had a ghostwriter? Oh, brother. Um, also, it only freed people in the uh, states in rebellion, unfortunately. Yeah. Leaving people in chains in the four border states. Um, well, also, it, w- it was more like a gesture than anything, because it's not like the, the plantation owners were going to free the slaves. Like, oh, guess we got to do it, you know, like... Right, but it does mean uh, now you're you're gonna take as contraband and free any slaves that you come across on the way. Right, right. In the last month of his life, and and, and it sort of makes the war ab- explicitly about slavery. Exactly, and it was. People seem to fight over that nowadays. It was. It was mostly about slavery. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> it was. It was about this. It was about the states' rights to have slaves. Yes. Uh, In the last month of his life, and just as he claimed victory in the Civil War, Lincoln allegedly reported to his wife and a few other friends that he'd had a kind of prophetic dream. And uh, this is all a quote from a book. Quote, I retired very late. I had not been long in bed when I fell into a dream. There seemed to be a death-like stillness about me. Then I heard subdued sobs as if a large number of people were weeping. I thought I had left my bed and wandered downstairs. No living person was in sight. But the same mournful sounds of distress met me as I passed along. It was there in all the rooms. Every object was familiar to me. But where were all the people who were grieving as if their hearts would break? I was puzzled and alarmed. What could be the meaning of all this? Determined to find the cause of a state of things so mysterious and so shocking, I kept on until I arrived in the East Room, which I entered. Before me was a catafalque. Um, I assume that means like a like a coffin or casket, mm. uh, on which there was a form wrapped in funeral vestments. Around it were soldiers who were stationed as guards. There was a throng of people, some gazing, mourning upon the corpse, whose face was covered, others weeping pitifully. Who is dead in the White House? I demanded of one of the soldiers. The president was the answer. He was killed by an assassin. Then came a loud burst of grief from the crowd, which woke me from my dream. I slept no more that night, and although it was only a dream, I have been strangely annoyed by it ever since. Now, this quote is taken from an account published by Ward Hill Lehman, who uh, was Lincoln's former law partner and friend, about 20 years after the assassination. Mm. 
So Lehman stated that he reconstructed the events based on notes he made in 1865 when he was present for Lincoln saying all of this. Now, Lehman and Mary Todd didn't mention the dream uh, in the immediate aftermath of the assassination, even though they had both been present when he supposedly talked about it. But members of Lincoln's cabinet did say that he told them of dreaming of sailing across an unknown body of water at great speed. He also apparently revealed that he'd had the same dream repeatedly on previous occasions before nearly every great and important event of the war. The sailing dream, not the president's been assassinated. No, the water dream. It stands to reason if you were the president that you would probably have nightmares about the president being assassinated or about you being assassinated. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you could. Could happen. Yeah. Due to Lincoln's impact on the country and his tragic death, it makes sense that his spirit is basically the most often reported sighting at the White House. It even has its own Wikipedia page, Lincoln's Ghost. First Lady... Ooh, that's not a bad first child name. Uh, I was thinking band name, Lincoln's Ghost. Either one. <laughs> Lincoln's Ghost McCabe. <laughs> First Lady Grace Coolidge told several magazines that she'd seen him look out a window that had been in his office. The Lincoln Bedroom, a popular guest room for visiting dignitaries, is also a common sighting place. In 1940, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill was staying in the room during a visit and had just stepped out of the bath wearing nothing but his trademark cigar. <laughs> Awkwardly, it was this moment when Lincoln apparently chose to appear right by the fireplace. Reportedly, Churchill then quipped, Good evening, Mr. President. You seem to have me at a disadvantage. This is by Churchill's report. Mm -hmm. Famously, never embellished a story. (laughs) Never. Uh, But what do you know about Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands, Sean? Um, Was she queen in the 50s? I think George Adamski (laughs) visited her. Um, well, she was definitely queen in 1942 when she was sleeping in the Lincoln bedroom and she answered a knock on the door only to see the ghost of old honest Abe himself. And then she apparently promptly fainted. Oh, so she was a kook. She invited, uh, she invited George (laughs) Adamski to to come and see her. Well, uh, do you think Eleanor Roosevelt was a kook? No, Carrie, I don't think Eleanor Roosevelt... You know, my friend Hillary was just talking to her the other night. (laughs) Well, she said that she wasn't rattled by him at all and that she would feel his presence when working in the bedroom. Washington, D.C. ghost tour guide Jared Broach told the Washington Post that, quote, They say Lincoln always comes back whenever he feels the country is in need or in peril. They say he just strides up and down the second floor hallways and raps on doors and stands by windows. So he's kind of the Giles Corey of the White House. He's like a, you know, he's yeah, a warning. Nobody's gotten sleep in the White House in about six years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. During a state dinner in 1986, Ronald Reagan told uh, Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney that the family dog would wander around the White House freely, but would never go into the Lincoln bedroom, just stand outside the door and bark, would refuse to go inside. Reagan's daughter, Maureen. The the carpet is all uh, uh, 100% real cat hair in there, right? (laughs) Reagan's daughter, Maureen, and her husband, Dennis Revel, also reported to have seen Lincoln's ghost, also standing by the fireplace, uh, just as Churchill saw him. And uh, Gerald Ford's daughter, Susan, also said to have seen him a few years before them. Most recently that I can find, uh, Roger Clinton, brother of Bill, claimed to feel Lincoln's presence while in the White House. Well, don't you think you would feel Abraham Lincoln's presence? <laughs> the the heavy weight of history. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't you feel, you know, George Washington's presence? No, well, no, you wouldn't. He didn't live there. Well, technically, I felt uh, Link- Lincoln's presence before. And uh, At Gettysburg? N- well, yeah, but also when I thought I killed him uh, <laughs> when I was little. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Re- review our uh, last words episode <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> last week for that story. And speaking of Lincoln, another related spirit said to haunt the White House is not a politician, but rather a young woman named Anna Surratt. Anna was the daughter of an accused conspirator in the Lincoln assassination, Mary Surratt. And again, we're going to cover this more fully, but basically Mary was suspected of participating because several of the conspirators, including John Wilkes Booth himself, frequented her boarding house. 
So Mary was sentenced to death, though several judges submitted a letter to now President Andrew Johnson to commute her sentence to life in prison. Um, But it's unclear whether this letter ever made it into his hands because he did not commute the sentence. Mm. Anna Surratt attempted to find Johnson for herself um, in person at the White House to plead for her mother's life, but was unable to get in. And Mary Surratt was hanged, thus becoming the first woman executed by the U.S. government. So it's said that Anna is still heard knocking on the doors of the White House, pleading for her mother's life, screaming and sobbing in desperation. Unfortunately, since those pleas were never answered in life, they continue on in death. And she only comes when the country's not in need. So no matter what time it is, someone is knocking on doors and screaming in the White House. (laughs) And we'll cover more presidential hauntings and spookiness after the break. Oh my God, it's flying by. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a ghost. (laughs) Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Welcome back. Uh, you know, in the first segment, we talked about some of the most notable uh, of pre- of presidential ghosts, not just mm-hmm. ghosts haunting presidents, because these are all White House ghosts this week, Carrie, mm-hmm. um, but also the ghosts of at least one president, at least uh, the, the, the biggest and baddest of them all, <laughs> uh, the, I think the tallest, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Obama's a tall guy. I don't know. I don't know who the <laughs> tallest president is, but Abe's got to be up there. Uh, you know, he's in the Wrestling Hall of Fame, Kerry, mm-hmm. with a uh, career record of I think three hundred wins and one loss. Yeah, a really good trivia factoid to know. Great amateur wrestler Abraham Lincoln. Um, but we've got some more ghosts to talk about, don't we? Yeah, so we've covered how the hauntings may have started with the occult leanings of two desperate, depressed, and grieving first ladies, but what other specters are said to be seen on the premises? Well, the ghost from the earliest time period associated with the White House is probably Abigail Adams, who was the first first lady to reside at the home. When the Adamses moved into the White House, it was still partially unfinished, which they reference in the magnificent HBO miniseries John Adams. Yeah, a, a friend recently said that might be the best thing HBO's ever made, and I, I, I don't know how... Uh, I, I can't uh, disagree that aggressively. It's really up there. It's so good. Please watch it if you're at all interested in American history or presidential history or the revolution or any of that stuff. Or Paul Giamatti. Uh, absolutely. So um, at this point, when they moved in, there wasn't even any running water. Rather, it had to be brought into the house by jug and heated for bathing or laundry to be done. So Abigail would often hang the family laundry in the kind of open and empty East Room to dry. And it's in this household chore that many people often see or sense her. She's been seen with her arms extended while entering the East Room as if she was still carrying laundry. So apparently there's no ghost laundry, just ghost Abigail. Interesting. But it's not (laughs) like she died in this period. No, no. She is often accompanied by the sense of wet laundry and lavender or soap. Although sometimes people smell these um, without any other ghostly activity, but no obvious cause. And during the Taft administration, Adams was apparently even observed walking through walls by staffers. Wouldn't it suck if, um, no matter where you got to in your life, after you died, you were just stuck doing the same chore forever (laughs) back in the coldest house you ever lived in? Yeah, laundry forever seems like one of your nightmares, Sean. You know, it's there's kind of a zen zen (laughs) to it. If if I can have laundry and Netflix, I'll be okay. Yeah. 
Willie Lincoln, too, has apparently returned not only to his mother, but to other later residents of the White House. The little boy's spirit has been seen um, ever since first spotted by members of the Grant administration in the 1870s, but has been reported as recently as the Johnson administration when President Lyndon B. Johnson's daughter, Linda, claimed to have seen and spoken to him. Little Willie Lincoln. And Abe Lincoln isn't the only former president to haunt his uh, old bedroom, either. Andrew Jackson supposedly haunts the canopy bed in the Rose bedroom. Just hopping up and down on the, uh, just breaking bed springs and challenging everyone to duels. Yeah, it really must give visitors a start if they're staying overnight and turn over and see Andrew Jackson. Uh, Mary Todd Lincoln herself reported encountering Jackson's spirit. And one of Lyndon Johnson's aides heard the cussing, hollering Jackson running around the place in 1964. Uh, Like she knew it was, or he knew it was Jackson. Famously once uh, challenged the entire Congress to a duel. Yep. Um, Going off of the Rose Bedroom, the famous White House Rose Garden is also supposedly haunted here by the spirit of First Lady Dolly Madison. Dolly was the originator of the garden, and when First Lady Edith Wilson decided to have it dug up a hundred years later, Dolly's angry spirit apparently popped up in the garden, seriously freaking out the workmen and preventing them from continuing the job. After that, no one would dare harm the Rose Garden until recently, of course, when Melania Trump renovated it before leaving the White House, removing much color and 60-year-old trees planted by Jackie Kennedy. So one has to wonder if a pissed-off Dolly Madison showed herself to Melania during that whole thing, but I think it's pretty likely that we'll never know. Kind of a shame. That is a horror movie I I would love to see. Oh, uh, a first lady being haunted by a former first lady because she tore up the Rose Garden? Yeah, yeah, and I think specifically something about Dolly Madison and Melania Trump. Uh, it's a very interesting pair. It'd be an interesting color palette. Yeah, yeah. William Henry Harrison, the first president to die in the White House, of course, still hangs around. He's said to haunt what was then the attic, which is now the third floor of the executive residence. Uh, how long was he president, Carrie? 31 days, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Harrison might not be the only one up there. David Burns, the man who owned the White House property in 1790, just prior to construction, was also apparently heard speaking in the attic by a guard during the Truman administration. I don't know what he said, like, I'm David Burns. Like, how did the guard know? But (laughs) Yeah, we uh, very specific. He's like, I know that voice anywhere. How? (laughs) I don't know. Truman himself seemed to believe in some sort of presence in the White House. During his first term, he wrote to his wife, Bess, saying, quote, I sit here in this old house and work on foreign affairs, read reports, and work on speeches, all the while listening to the ghosts walk up and down the hallway and even right here in the study. The floors pop and drapes move back and forth. I can just imagine old Andy Jackson and Teddy Roosevelt having an argument over Franklin Roosevelt. A year later, he wrote Bess another letter after having a strange experience when he heard a knocking on his door. Quote, I jumped up and put on my bathrobe, opened the door, and no one was there. Went out and looked up and down the hall, looked in your room in Margie's. Still no one. Went back to bed after locking the doors, and there were footsteps in your room whose door I'd left open. Jumped and looked, and no one there. The damned place is haunted, sure as shootin'. Secret Service said not even a watchman was up here at that hour. You and Margie had better come back and protect me before some of these ghosts carry me off. Oh, well, at the end there, you've got the key. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to get a little little TLC. <laughs> Oh, Harry. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a cute letter, though. It's funny. You, you, you don't, uh, I don't know, you don't, you don't think a Truman is capable of that kind of flight of fancy, I mm-hmm. guess. One of the most recent stories comes from first daughter Jenna Bush Hager, who appeared on the Today Show in 2018 and recounted this tale. Quote, Barbara, 
her sister, and I felt something. We were at the White House. My phone rang. It woke us up in the middle of the night. We have a fireplace in our room, and all of a sudden we started hearing, like, 1920s piano music, clear as day, coming out of the fireplace. Well, this is just your bedtime (laughs) ambiance. Uh, I jumped in Barbara's bed. We were so scared. The next week, the same thing happened, but it was opera. I told a guide, Buddy, you wouldn't believe what we heard last night. And he goes, oh, Jenna, you wouldn't believe what I've heard. So I like Buddy. That's because he listens to all the presidents having sex. (laughs) No, because spooky things happen to him. Yeah, that's pretty spooky. (laughs) Now, I know I promised more than ghosts this episode, and there's plenty. To switch gears for a bit, let's look at some spooky curses and premonitions. In November 1944, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was reelected for a fourth term in the presidency. That same month, he called Jean Dixon, who was attracting attention in the Washington area for her predictions and psychic abilities, and he invited her for a meeting at the White House. After exchanging pleasantries, FDR got down to business. He asked Dixon, how much time do I have to finish the work I have to do? With his permission, Dixon placed her hands on his to sense his vibrations, as she called them. Mm -hmm. And she hesitated, but he insisted on hearing what uh, what she had to say. And so she said, six months or less. After a few minutes of silence, FDR pressed on to ask what her thoughts were on dealing with Russia and what Russia's role would be when the war ended. This was World War II. Would they remain allies? No, Dixon said. Her visions showed that the U.S. and Russia would not be allies in the post-war years, but someday, far in the future, they would again be friendly. Roosevelt then gave it another shot. How much longer in years do I have to complete my work? And, um, And he said it like this, complete my work, not to live, to complete my work. She responded, Mr. President, you cannot measure it in years, only months. There is less than six months. And she was right. Roosevelt died suddenly of a cerebral hemorrhage in April 1945. Uh, Dixon felt that maybe he had had some sort of premonition about his death. And that's why he had said it like, when, how can I finish my work? Am I, basically, am I going to get everything done that I need to get done before this happens? Dixon went on to predict the elections of Harry Truman and Dwight Eisenhower to the presidency, as well as Lyndon Johnson's um, 1964 election and his eventual decision not to rerun. Her most famous prediction, however, is that of John F. Kennedy's assassination. When still a congressman, Dixon predicted that Kennedy would achieve political victory at the highest level, but would die a violent death. This went along with a prediction from 1952, which foresaw that the president elected in 1960 would be killed. And this is something that's very easy to kind of make up after the fact, but this prediction was actually published in Parade Magazine in 1956. And it goes like this. Uh, As for the 1960 election, Mrs. Dixon thinks it will be won by a Democrat, but he will be assassinated or die in office, though not necessarily in his first term. And that's four years before JFK was even elected. That is pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Really, really tapping into something there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was like crazy to predict that Truman. Truman was an incumbent, right? Because he was the vice president. He was the vice president, yes. But uh, I think at the time he wasn't as popular. Maybe was it Dewey? Yeah, they printed up all the newspapers. Dewey defeats Truman. Yeah. Um, But surely it wasn't crazy to say he would win. And then Dwight Eisenhower was a massively popular World War II general. I'm just saying what she said. But the Kennedy thing's pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm. Dixon eventually also lent some expertise to Nancy Reagan during her time at the White House. In The Haunting of the Presidents, it's stated that, quote, with the exception of the Lincolns, no other first family was more fascinated by the workings of the paranormal than the Reagans. And this news of their interest in astrology and the occult first hit the media in 1988, when former White House Chief of Staff Donald Regan wrote in his book For the Record that astrological predictions were a constant issue in planning the Reagan schedule, <laughs> saying later it was an essential truth about the way the Reagans operated. Now, see, 
this is different for before you said like nancy had a personal astrologer it's like yeah lots of people are like well my rising moon sign is no but she would she would change the dates of things if the astrologer said not to do it like surgeries traveling yeah that's intense yeah um, according to biographer Kitty Kelly, Ronald Reagan took the oath of office for the governorship of California in the middle of the night because an astrologer had told him it was the most propitious time. And apparently the Reagans had been very into astrology since the 50s, at least, uh, when they were still in Hollywood. Astrology was used in the Reagan White House not only for scheduling, but to develop horoscopes for figures like Mikhail Gorbachev to help gain insight into personalities that they didn't quite understand. In her book, My Turn, The Memoirs of Nancy Reagan, Nancy herself wrote that astrology was simply one of the ways I coped with the fear I felt after my husband almost died. And this is referring to the 1981 assassination attempt on his life. She also admitted a fear of the prediction involving the 20-year death cycle of the presidents, which is a reference to the so-called Curse of Tippecanoe, which started with William Henry Harrison's death in 1841. The so-called curse stated that every president elected in 20-year intervals from that time would die in office, which actually did happen for a very long time. Harrison, Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley, Harding, FDR, and JFK all died while in office and all were elected in 20-year intervals. The first to escape this was in ni- the 1980 elector, which was uh, Reagan, um, which is, you know, he was near death after his assassination attempt, so he, he almost did get there. But uh, since then, both George W. Bush and so far, and thank goodness, Joe Biden have been doing all right. So maybe the old Gipper broke the curse by surviving his attempted murder. You know, kind of like a, a backdoor final destination sort of thing. Well, that's a nice job by Ron. Although although it is, um, you know, a little discomforting to think that some of his more aggressive Cold War policy uh, was driven <laughs> <laughs> By like a horoscope yeah. he was writing up for the Russian premiere. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of curses, uh, we're not discussing the Kennedy curse today because we have a whole episode on that a ways back. But that is probably the most famous example of a supposed curse on the president or the presidency, along with the curse of Tippecanoe and all that other fun stuff. Well, and that's not just limited to the White House either. That's, that's the whole Kennedy family. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. To end this episode on a funny and adorable note, while living at the White House, Sasha and Malia Obama would have slumber parties and tell their friends spooky stories about the reported hauntings in the home, which is great. Sounds like a fun time. Sure. During one of those story sessions, the girls began to hear what called itself the voice of George Washington whispering to them. Well, again, I have to push my glasses up my nose here and point out that he didn't live. I know. I know. The voice told the group that Sasha and Malia's dad was doing a great job in office and that they should be proud of him. Sasha, suspicious, crept to the kitchen where the whispers seemed to be coming from, turned on the lights and revealed the president, Barack Obama. I see. In his role as goofy dad playing a prank to freak out his kids at a slumber party. I mean, I sure I love this story. Is this from his book? Is this from Michelle's book? Um, yeah, I, I it's a, from a White House history site, um, but I have to find where that is actually from. But that's it's pretty adorable. So yeah, so um, we don't have any real other news from the Obamas or the Bidens. Um, certainly not the Trumps, but I don't. They don't seem like the type that would talk about if they saw a ghost. Um, I feel like. You know, Biden's so Catholic, maybe he might say something about it. Um, but we, we haven't had any other real incidents since the, the Bush daughters, I guess. Hmm. Um, at least not that I found, maybe some, some visitors, things like that. But yeah. Well, that's a little that's a little disappointing, but we are getting further in time away from the White House's uh, greatest tragedies. So Yeah, well, knock on wood, right? Um, it, it doesn't surprise me, by the way, to hear that so many people sleeping in the Lincoln bedroom, you know, any part of the White House, but especially right. the Lincoln bedroom, would have, like, the most significant president on their mind. Yeah. 
feel his presence in a way and yeah maybe see a a fucking long coat draped over a a rack or something and go oh (laughs) there he is Yeah. yeah yeah maybe maybe we'll hear more when more memoirs and such come out but um yeah, that, that's the, the haunting of the presidents. Uh, and of course, like I said before, every bed and breakfast owner that has a house, a historic house where George Washington stayed during the Revolutionary War says his ghost's there, you know. There are plenty of other haunted places that are said to be haunted by other presidents. Um, I think we did, did we mention Abe Lincoln during the Haunted Theaters episode? For Ford's Theater, where he was killed. I would imagine that we did. I, yeah. I, I know we talked about Ford's Theater. So these ghosts, uh, they get around. Or, you know, maybe you tend to believe that they're kind of preserved bits of time sort of replaying over and over uh, in a space. Yeah, a moment rather than a person's like soul or exactly. whatever. being. Which, um, in places like the White House, that are so attached to history and so full of energy and just such intense emotions. I mean, the stress, the drama of it all, the intensity. Mm-hmm. It, I, I could imagine that's a place that really sort of soaks in that energy and, and could be a site of replaying these big moments. Well, yes, in all this, you know, life or death decisions being made every day, nuclear near misses, scandals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that the moment that chooses to be preserved is uh, a- a- Abigail Adams doing her wash. But, right, you know, what, and what uh, Andrew Jackson laying on his bed, you know, but that's, he can't predict what's going to remain, I guess. Just <laughs> just uh, the best first lady and the uh, craziest president. <laughs> yeah, he's something. Uh, so there it is. I love it, Carrie. I feel inspired and scared. <laughs> and, uh, and. <laughs> are, you, are you okay? <laughs> you, no, I don't think I am anymore. Um, uh, which means you've done your job. Good. So, um, so thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm the ghost of Abe Lincoln. No! Ah! The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Let's take a trip to the Bazaar Bazaar. Oh, Carrie, look, there's, there's, they're selling dips and free samples are back. <laughs> Last week, archaeologists on an Egyptian-Dominican research team from the University of Santo Domingo discovered an ancient hidden tunnel under the Temple of Teposeris Magna, just west of Alexandria in Egypt. Some hope, and believe, that this tunnel could lead to the undiscovered tomb of Cleopatra. What? Yes, Cleopatra, the famous queen and final ruler of the Ptolemaic dynasty who died in 30 BC. Quote, searches for her burial place over time have largely rested upon accounts in classical sources like Plutarch and Cassius Dio, Claire Gilmore, a Ph.D. in anthropology and archaeology at the University of Bristol, told Newsweek. Mouthful. Mm hmm. Modern investigations have mostly veered between Alexandria as the capital at the time of Cleopatra VII, including underwater surveys as some of the city has become submerged. Yeah, that family only had like two names. It was just Ptolemies and Cleopatras really all the way down. Mm -hmm. And Taposiris Magna, which could have been chosen for its links with the goddess Isis, with whom Cleopatra closely associated herself. So could this tunnel be the final piece in the mystery of Cleopatra's lost burial site? It's unclear what happened to Cleopatra's remains after her death. Um, 
Her death was believed to be a suicide to avoid being paraded through Rome as a war prize, though it's uh, uncertain as to whether she killed herself by snake or not. Right. That is the ancient, but that's the story from the ancient sources. Yeah. We just don't know for sure. Right. But I just, you know, I don't want people to think it's something Shakespeare just made up or something. Roland N. March, a senior lecturer on Egyptology at the University of Liverpool, stated that, quote, it would be exciting, but also rather surprising if the famous Queen Cleopatra were buried at Taposiris Magna. And March also stated that ancient sources also tell us that she asked to be buried beside Mark Anthony and that Octavian granted her wish. The implication is that they were buried in the tomb Cleopatra had constructed for them in Alexandria. And I'm I'm uncertain what I believe. Um, I don't know if her wishes would have been heeded, especially since her son Caesarian was murdered by Octavian. Well, yeah, but you had to do that. Right. But I mean, would he have cared about making sure that he buried her where she wanted to be buried? You know, I don't know. He was casting himself in the mold of his uh, uncle, who definitely was merciful to his uh, enemies when he could. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. The discovered tunnel is almost a mile long, located more than 43 feet underground, and is described by Egypt's Tourism and Antiquities Ministry as a geometric miracle. Dr. Kathleen Martinez, who is heading up the Egyptian Dominican dig, says, quote, This is the perfect place for the tomb of Cleopatra. If there's a 1% chance that the last queen of Egypt could be buried there, it is my duty to search for her. This is the first time that any archaeologist has found tunnels, passages underground, and inside the enclosure walls of the temple. Martinez also stated that if the find does lead to Cleopatra's tomb, it would be the most important discovery of the 21st century, which archaeologically, yeah, pretty big. Mm Mm-hmm. Several uh, notable artifacts have already been unearthed from under the temple, including coins bearing the names of Queen Cleopatra and Alexander the Great, as well as ancient statues of the Egyptian goddess Isis. Previous excavations at the site have also uncovered mummies with golden tongues and a cemetery that contains mummies facing the temple, both signs of a royal tomb being located nearby. Okay, even better, Mm -hmm. and... Yeah. So, so does that mean, like, do you think Antony would have been mummified? It, I, I think she probably would have wanted herself to be mummified. If that um, was if if that was the place she wanted to be buried, then he would be with her if her wishes were fulfilled. So they would definitely be the biggest find since Tutankhamun. Yeah. And speaking of that, this discovery comes hot on the heels of the 100th anniversary of the discovery of King Tut's tomb in the Valley of the Kings. And we'll keep you updated on if any confirmation comes through on her final resting place and if this tunnel leads to a vast royal tomb. Um, But till then, it's pretty fun to think about. Yeah, the only... um like better find would be in Alexandria would be Alexander's tomb, right? Yeah. Well, Moon Knight found that. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Thanks Oscar Isaac. And then he ripped his jaw off. Well, spoilers had to be done. We spoiled like mummy. Yeah. Spoilers for the mummy. (laughs) With Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Anxino Moon is the, he possesses the, the Evie. Okay. It's the name of King Tut's wife, but Imhotep is the name of the mummy. It's all confusing. We're not going to use this. This is nope. long past the That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary and check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash scary. You can call us and leave a message at our Google Voice number 203-666-5529. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll be forever grateful. Yeah, if you call that number, you don't even have to have, 
doesn't have to be about this, you know, the most recent episode. No. Just if you have a Say story hi. you want to tell us, a question, you want to tell us we're doing a great job, you want to tell us we're not doing a great job. You don't have to call no. about that last one. I'm, um, I'm, I'm sensitive. <laughs> but, you know, give us a call, friends, and uh, you'll probably hear yourself on the show. Who are you going to call? Us. Please. S- special thanks, too, to our beloved top-tier patrons, Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, Ira, and Kate Pope, who we uh, may or may not see... <laughs> This weekend, Kate's been very active on our Discord, and uh, we appreciate it. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McKay. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. Ain't It Scary has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. (sighs) I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? (sighs) Download American Vigilante now.